You know, I was going to speak tonight, but then John Swinger came up to me and he said, Mike, I've got a hot topic. I go, okay, John, what's that? He goes, how we treat the poor. And I thought to myself, I don't care about the poor, John. Maybe, maybe I should have you talk. <laughs> Now, honestly, I don't know anybody better suited to talk to us about the poor who are among us and how Jesus wants us to view them and talk to them and interact with them than John Swinger. He's been doing it for a long time. If you guys don't know, back in the day, John had a homeless ministry center called the Tollgate, and he offered... Scum of the Earth, a place to meet. We were like a year and a half old and went to meet at his place. Since then, he has gone on not only to be our landlord and uh, fellow church member, but he went to Seattle with his wife, Raylene, and son, Bo, and they planted Scum of the Earth Church Seattle, which is still going on. So uh, I can't think of a better guy to talk to us than our own Kenny Rogers lookalike, John Swinger. message on homelessness just for everybody, but I guess it's for Mike. He doesn't care about the poor just yet. I have a question. You know, this Thanksgiving, not to brag, but this Thanksgiving will begin our 19th year of feeding the homeless. And I've never done this, so Christmas, Thanksgiving, um, Fourth of July, general feeding, making sandwiches, or helping out in any way, donating cash. Anybody that's ever helped us out, will you stand up? Or came and played guitar at one of our things, stand up. See, give yourselves a hand. There's a lot of people here that have been involved in the ministry. All right. Hot topics. There it is. This, Mike said this will be the last hot topic of the summer. And so uh, I wanted to talk about the church's obligation to take care of the poor. And, uh, and so welcome to Scum of the Earth. Anybody uh, first time visitor? Welcome. God bless you all. And so this is a tree. And so before I start, I want to talk about two words that came to me this week. Fundamentally flawed. And I knew my wife would laugh when I put that up there. I want to tell you something. You know, down in these roots of this tree, God has a plan for your life. And he has this direction that you're supposed to go. And if you follow that direction all the way to the top, when you get on that path, really on that path, it's then that your light 
begins to shine. And that's, that's your key that the next slide has that shining light right up there at the top. You can't see it because it's not dark enough in here. But these were really cool graphics, and I worked hard on these. So, <laughs> But if down in those roots you decide to go a different direction and you get off base, the bad part is, is no matter where up that shaft you go, you decide, should I go this way or this way? It doesn't matter. You're on the wrong shaft. And you end up all the way up here at a spot that's totally different from where God wants you to be. There's like this miles of difference between the two ends of those. There's flawed, and then there's fundamentally flawed. And fundamentally flawed is like when you, at the very root of your existence, you went a direction other than what you're supposed to go. That's fundamentally flawed. So I wanted to say that. Now I'll go ahead and start this message here. What is the church's responsibility in taking care of the poor? I found this slide. I thought it was ironic. The American dream, the world's highest standard of living, and there's a soup line that goes right in front of that billboard. How ironic is that? I wonder if that's the dream that they're living for. Um... You know, if you start thinking about how do we take care of the poor? Anybody ever been to Belgium? Oh, a couple of hands there. You know, I I found on the Internet in Belgium, this is one of their solutions to taking care of the poor, uh, to taking care of the homeless. They build these things that go up with all these discs, and they literally stack people on top of each other. You know, ingenious. There's another slide here that shows it from the base. And people just go up there and they stay at night. You can do this for free. They have those all over Belgium. France recently passed a law that in Paris, everyone has a right to a roof over their head, even if it's only a tent. So you are allowed now in Paris, anywhere on the sidewalk, to set up a tent, provided you're out of there by 7 o'clock in the morning. Awesome. If you try this in New York... It, it ain't going to work. There's a couple that tried it down there in Manhattan, and there's the police car right there that's going to chase them away. So you know what they had to do? American ingenuity came in. They started making tents that looked like car covers, and they just, they just set up their tent and zip it up and sleep inside. Cops drive by, and they go... Some guy's got a Porsche, and look, he's got a car. And sometimes they look even better. This is the, like a UPS race car. <laughs> I call that hiding in plain sight. Denver, however, has its own way of dealing with the homeless, uh, especially if there's like a, a, a political convention in town. They just load them all up on the bus. Show this next bus. And there they are. Hello, Albuquerque, you know. They, they've done, I've watched them do this many times over the years. They'll come down with buses, load up all the homeless, take them to Albuquerque and drop them off, or sometimes Phoenix. And they don't do this without, you know, it's not like, hey, guess what? You can go to Albuquerque or just stay on the corner. It's like, you want to go to jail? No, get on the bus. They Also, they don't contact Albuquerque and tell them that it's happening. Now, I, I promised God that I wouldn't talk about the politics of 
of feeding the homeless. But I will say, if you guys want to talk to me later sometime, I will tell you my political views on feeding the homeless. And uh, they may not be what you think they are. Um, So this brings me to the next thing. Missions. I went to, and I'm not going to name the church because politics. I don't want to get involved. But it's a wealthy suburban church that started in Cherry Hills Village. I'm not going to say which one it is. But since then, they outgrew the town. The town was not big enough for their campus. So now they've got Highlands Ranch. But they had this missions meeting. And the missions meeting, I went there and there was all these these guys with, uh, you know who I'm talking about, shaved heads and the little soul patch. And hi, all, all the youth leaders from all over the city were showing up there to talk about the subject. How can we motivate our youth to get involved in missions? Yes, she's tracking with me. And I thought, this is what I want to talk to them about. Because this is my heart, taking care of the poor. Missions. And instantly, the discussion started going along these lines. We need to tell them how they are going to be totally blessed if they go serve. We need to let them know that their life will be changed. We need to let them know that they're going to feel good by doing this. And I call that a failure. The uh, mission's a change-your-life game. It's all about changing your life. Remember what I talked about, about fundamentally flawed? That's fundamentally flawed. And let me tell you the reason is. Is if I set you out on a journey of what's in it for me, how's it going to affect me? How's it going to change my life? Then you will find that you're on a journey of serving yourself. You're not serving God, you're serving you. And that was one of the youth leaders. No, I just made that up. I think we, God calls us all to serve the poor. And um, I got a couple of verses I want to read to you. In 1 Corinthians 6.20 it says, And you are not your own. You have been redeemed at an infinite cost. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. And in Romans 4.18, it says, If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether you live or die, we belong to the Lord. How about instead of telling someone, you are going to be blessed by doing this for God. How about we tell them, you owe it to God. You belong to him. He saved you. Serve him. And that's jumping from that, that red vine back over to the blue vine. If The problem is, is if you put them on the wrong path at the very root of their existence, then it's going to be so far away and so hard to get them back to doing it for God. They're busy doing it for themselves. 
So God wants me to pitch in with my body and get my hands dirty and serve him. And guess what? If you do this for God, if you seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you, then you'll be blessed. It'll change your life. It'll be an amazing experience. Which brings us back to this word motivation. What is your motivation? Is it to serve God or is it to bless yourself? If you're out to bless yourself, you're not serving God. You're just serving yourself. A rich man went to Christ and he said, what must I do to enter heaven? And he said, if you want to be perfect, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. So when I get to this point, I find not only does God want my body, wants my service, he wants my stuff. Do I give him my stuff so I'll get blessed? No, I give him my stuff because he's God. He loves me. He saved me. I was going to hell. And he saved me. You know, in Matthew 26, 11, Jesus says, the poor you will always have with you. What you don't know, or you might know, but what we don't realize is when he said that, it wasn't something new. He was quoting out of Deuteronomy 15. In Deuteronomy 15, here's a John paraphrase. There should be no poor in your land, none Because I'm blessing you. I'm pouring out a blessing upon you. I'm giving you such a large blessing that you could take care of all the poor in your land and not even miss it. But the poor will always be with you. So that statement, 3,500 or 4,000 years ago, depending on who you listen to when Deuteronomy was written, that statement was not a prophecy of the future. It was an indictment against the believers in the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob. You are not going to do what I'm telling you to do today. There should be no poor in your land, but they're going to be here because you're not going to do it. And then 2,000 years later, 2,000 years ago, Christ again turned and said it again. Now let me tell you the setting where he said it. She had come in with a bottle of expensive perfume. She was weeping, and she started to pour this perfume on Christ, preparing him for his death. And it says that the apostles questioned this. It doesn't say which one, but I've got a good idea. There's one apostle that's in charge of keeping the purse for all of them. And his name was Judas Iscariot. He took care of the money. And how many of you know money was more important to him than God? And he said, I believe. You know, we could sell that and give it to the poor. And I believe that Christ turned around and said, you're not going to feed the poor with that. You're probably going to stick it in your own pocket. That's a paraphrase from John. But the truth is... 
2,000 years later, they're still not feeding the poor and taking care of them. The body of Christ, the, the, the believers in, in God, are called to take care of the poor. And they still weren't doing it 2,000 years ago. He's saying, are you not going to do what I told you to do? When I found Jesus, I was so grateful for my salvation. Most of you know my story. I was a criminal. At the time I found Jesus, I was dealing coke. I had four dealers I was supplying coke to. I was riding with motorcycle gangs, stealing motorcycles from two separate gangs and selling them to the other ones. I was not only going to hell, I was like right there. And Christ snatched me up out of the middle of all that and took, instantly took cocaine away from me. Shortly thereafter, at a Thanksgiving service, they lined up a microphone and had people come up and tell them what God had done, what they were thankful for that year. And one by one, I listened to people say, thank you for my new house. Thank you that I got a new car. Thank you for my new baby. And by the time I got up there, I was in tears. And I said, I haven't thought about thanking him for what he gave me. I'm busy thanking him for what he took away. I was so grateful that he saved me. That all I ever wanted to do was to give away what he gave me and that's salvation. He saved me. I knew that day that I would spend the rest of my life bringing people to know Christ, trying to give away salvation anywhere I could find it. Wherever there was a need, I wanted to pray salvation with people. One day I saw a plaque on a wall. And it said, let your light shine into darkness so others too might find their way out. And that word too was was highlighted and in bold. Let your light shine into darkness so others too might find their way out. And I knew that's what I want. I want to let my light shine. And that night, I had a dream. And in the dream, it was dark. I was in the darkest of all dark places. And I couldn't see nothing. Then I looked up and there was a flashlight above flailing around. And finally, it caught sight of me. And I saw this hand reach out past the flashlight and take my hand. And as he began to pull me up, He turned around and handed me the flashlight so I could shine it on the next guy. And I woke up and it almost became like a mantra to me. God, help me to let my light shine. I need to let my light shine into darkness so others can find their way out. This is the way to salvation, letting my light shine. That's all I wanted. All I ever wanted was to let my light shine in darkness. Then one day I was reading in the Bible in Isaiah 58, verse 9 and 10, I read, If you do away with the yoke of oppression, the pointing finger, and the malicious talk, and spend yourself in behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will shine into darkness, and your nighttime will become like the noonday. And I read it again, and this time the part that popped out to me was, let your light shine into darkness. The part that popped out to me was spend yourself in behalf of the hungry. And I'm going, this is my verse. 
this is how to let my light shine. I got to spin myself in behalf of the hungry. As long as I wake up and I'm still an air pump, as long as I get out of bed and my chest is still going in and out, then I know that I'm not spent yet. So I'm going to spend the rest of my life taking care of the poor, letting my light shine into darkness. So 4,000 years ago, he said, you're not going to take care of the poor. 2,000 years ago, he said, you're still not going to give that to the poor. What is he saying today? Is he going to come back and say to you, you're not going to take care of the poor. I told you to. Did you know he talks more about taking care of the poor than just about anything in the Bible? God loves the poor. I don't feel like it's my call to just feed the poor. I feel like what my call in life is, is to motivate the body of Christ to go do what God told them to do. Get off your butt and feed the poor. I want to tell you something. Uh, the Holy Spirit. How many of have you ever heard of the guilt of the Holy Spirit? There is no such thing. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I pray that it comes on everyone in this room. That God will convict you to do your part and take care of the poor. And I want to tell you one other thing. God did not call the government to take care of the poor. He asked you to do it. And that's what I'm asking you to do. I just want to live the way Jesus lived, love the way Jesus loved, and give the way Jesus gave. And that's all I'm asking of you, is to be Christ-like and do what you can do. Spin yourself in behalf of the hungry. Now, here's a reverse catch-22 for you. If you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry, if you go and feed the poor, your light is going to become a beacon to them. And it's going to draw them into salvation. And then also, if you let your light shine, the homeless will see that and be drawn into that. And if you serve the homeless, that will cause your light to shine. It's just a circle. And you get caught in that circle of feeding the poor and shining your light. In Matthew uh, 5, verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that others may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Shine your light. Don't let the devil blow it out. Don't hide it under a bushel. Shine it all over the neighborhood. Shine it over this neighborhood. And that's all I got. If there's anybody got any questions, we got time for that now. At least that's what I think. I can't see the clock. Did I go? Is it 8.30? It's 8 o'clock. Sweet. He said, I got till 8.30. I'm going to tell some jokes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so if there's anybody got any questions like, John, how can I serve? Or any other question. I'm just kidding about that one. Yes. You can come down to Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We make sack lunches and hand them out downtown. There's a lot of the people here that help us at different times. If you want to come, to, there's many ways to serve. You can put up a box in the back of the room and start gathering socks for us. 
Men's socks, tube socks, because the winter is coming. A fresh pair of socks is the difference between somebody having two feet next spring and one, or maybe none. Collect socks, sleeping bags, and, uh, and coats. Or you can give money. I know I'm probably not supposed to say that up here. You can give money, or you can come down and volunteer. But God wants your time, your talent, and your treasures. So find a way. Find a need and fill it. There's a question right here. Uh, we're at 16th and Gaylord Church in the city, Beth Abraham. They allow us to operate out of their kitchen and in their parking lot behind there. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning at 8 o'clock, and we're, we serve uh, 80, 85 lunches, sack lunches. We're done by 10 o'clock, and we're out of there. So if you guys want to come down, just contact me or my wife and let us know, and we'll we'll schedule you in. And you can. But I, I do ask one thing. Let me just share a short story here. One time we were feeding, do, we do Christmas and Thanksgiving or Christmas and Fourth of July. We do some of the holidays. We'll put a big breakfast on. And a, a few years back, I, you know, I was getting ready to do a Christmas breakfast and I had 500 homeless people lined up all the way around the block over at Office Depot at Colfax and Pearl. And we got our table set up and I look and we've got 500 volunteers. And I was, what's the Christian term I'm looking for? I was pissed. That's it. That's the one I was looking for. And the reason is, is because during the year, we were feeding six days a week, 250 guys a day, and I couldn't get enough volunteers. But Christmas, I got 500 up there. So when when they said, okay, we're all set up, ready to go, pray, John, I went up and made an announcement. And my board of directors jumped my case about this. I went up there and I said, you know, if you come down once, you're serving yourself. If you come down twice, you may be serving the homeless. And they said, you can't talk to people like that. I go, look at it, 500 people, you know. They come on Christmas because they want to put, feed the homeless on their spiritual resume. Or when they're playing bridge, somebody brings up homeless, they go, you know, I did that, you know. <laughs> you cannot change a life by coming down there once. You're just blessing yourself. If you want to come down to my food line just one time, I'm sorry, but you're not going to affect anything. If you want to come down day after day after day and get to know these guys and show them that you're more interested in loving them than, than patting your, your jewels in heaven, then they may sit down and start saying, hey, this is where I come from. Why do you do this? You know, those are the, the words... The five words that I live for. I don't preach to anybody. I just love them. I want to love them unconditional. And, and I just want to get to know them. And, and some it takes a couple of weeks. Some it takes years. But eventually they sit down with a cup of coffee next to me and they say those five words. Why do you do this? And when they say that, I light up because that's the open door when I can say, you know, I've been homeless. Or I can look at another one and say, I've been in prison too. I was a biker. You know, I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. But Christ grabbed me. And the truth is, is 20 years ago, I could care less about homeless people. But God touched my heart. And they became more important to me than free time. And when that happens, 
It starts changing lives. So live for the moment when they ask you why you're there. And they're not going to do it if you're there the first time. You need to come and build relationships with people. I, all of a sudden I'm feeling, I sound just like I did that Monday, that Sunday in, on Christmas morning. I'm not trying to kick nobody in the butt. But I'm just saying, if you want to affect it, invest in it. Invest your time. Become a regular. All the way back at the table. I can't hear you at all. Okay, I'm going to set a healthy boundary right now. Don't take them home. Okay? All right? And uh, Let me tell you, I read in the news yesterday, in Denver they're looking for a homeless man who goes by the name uh, Mrs. Bunny. And uh, a couple, an older couple took him home. And two weeks later they found them dead in their basement. He killed them. And they're looking for him. This happens often. There's a difference between faith and foolishness. You know, you can believe God's telling you to do something, but you better confirm it. There's been times we've taken kids home to live with us for months at a time. Several of these over the years. It's different taking an adult to live with you. And we've done that too. But there comes a time in your walk to when you say, I know what I can do for the homeless, and I know what I can't do for the homeless. Giving money to homeless people on the street corners, we don't do that. I, it's one of my rules with my volunteers. Do not give money to anybody that comes to our food line, period. Not even 10 cents. I don't want you to do that. I want you to serve them. I want you to love them. I want you to give them food. I want you to, you can even go buy them something and bring it and give it to them, a gift. But do not give money. And the reason is, number one, guys that are on the street corner, I, I would say 80% of those guys are not homeless. That's their job. They consider they get up in the morning, drink their coffee, drive downtown, park their car, and get out and stand there and hold a sign all day. I mean, good for them, but those are not homeless. The, the bottom line is, is, I believe that when the Bible says, when you go out, go by twos, that's just wisdom. That saves you from getting your butt whipped or killed. It says don't take your purse with you. And a lot of people think, they interpret that as anywhere you go to minister, they'll take care of you. You don't need to pay. For, that's, that's a pretty, uh, you know, name it and claim it kind of view if you ask me. I believe it's saying don't take your purse with you because, you know, money changes things. If I'm trying to minister the gospel to you over years and years and years, and the connection we have is the love of Christ, if I introduce money into that, it changes the whole dynamic. The next thing you know, they see you as an ATM. They'll get saved once a week if, if you'll give them another 20 bucks. 
You know, I, I'm be, I've been doing this a long time. I don't want to sound jaded, but I know where the fertile soil is and I know where it's not. Don't give money to anybody you're trying to minister to because they see you as an ATM. That's why, that's why when they walked into the gate and he reaches up and says, alms for the poor, and he says what? Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. Stand up and walk. You know, you cannot deal with someone in the spiritual realm if you're trying to minister to the physical realm. If you want to, uh, to convince them of the gospel, talk to their brain. But if you want to uh, convert them with faith, talk to their spirit. That's what my view. Yes. Uh, the scam you and rob you. Now, this is going to sound a little crash, but this was a thought that occurred to me 19 years ago. I will wade through a thousand assholes to find one guy that's really appreciative of what God has to do. And they can come up and they can be jerks to me and whatever. I just pray that the next guy in line will tear up about the love of Christ. And so, and I have waded through a thousand of them. And I've got the scars to show, you know, I can show you the scars. I've been in fights out there. I've, I've had to knock a guy halfway across the room to keep him from beating up a lady in a wheelchair. There's a lot of people. Here's another thing that, that I'm sure you deal with. With some people, today's gift is tomorrow's entitlement. The first time through the food line, it's like, oh, God, thank you. This is so wonderful. Thank you for this lunch. And the next day, it's like, thanks. And the third day, it's, where's my damn lunch? You know, and it's like, but I I put up with that. Like I said, because there's another guy somewhere down the line that is broken in his heart and just so grateful that you're going to do something for him. That's my heart. And God told me, 20 years ago when we got ready to do this, it's not your concern as to how they became homeless. Just love them. And I'll be honest with you, every bit of the sack lunches that we hand out, they're not that important to me because, you know what, in three hours they're going to be hungry again. And the truth be known, there's a lot of people feeding the homeless in Denver. There's an old saying on the streets, if you go hungry in Denver, it's because you worked real hard at it. My truth is that every one of those sack lunches, I know some of you may not like this term, but it's bait. It's my chance to get to sit and talk with them and listen to them and to hear their story. And eventually they say those five words. You know, I I had a a salesman tell me one time, the best way to get somebody to listen to you is sit down and listen to them. And he said, you know, I knock on the door, and if they'll let me in, I look around for a picture. Is that your grandkids? Yeah, tell me about them. And he just sits there, and when they get through talking, then he gets them to talk again. And then then finally, when they've said everything, then he just gets quiet, and they go, so what do you got? 
they feel obligated to listen to you if you've listened to them for a couple of hours. So basically, that's why I'm here. I'm obligated to listen to you guys because I've been talking for, I still got 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, we got questions up here. Can I tell the story of somebody that completely turned around? Uh, you mean like like guys I knew that were believers and Christians, and then now they've swayed? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, I want to tell you something. If you want to go into ministry to where you see a lot of results, don't go into homeless ministry. And I'm not saying there's a lot, not a lot of results, but the truth is, it's you know truly your reward is in heaven because. You don't see it too much. You know, the bottom line is you minister to guys forever, forever, and forever, and then they disappear. And you wonder the rest of your life. Did they die? Did they go to jail? Did they get better? Are they off the street? And the truth is there aren't that many people that come back and say, hey, guess what? You know, I was on the streets. I've had, I've had a few. I've had guys come. But to be honest with you, there's times a guy came, do you remember me? And I go, sorry, I don't. And, and then they tell me this long, drawn-out story about how we changed their life. And I'm going, okay. And I'm going, what was his name? That's why I got an a, a awesome wife. She always walks up with me and calls somebody by name so I'll know who they are, you know. <laughs> Hi, Bob, you know. You know, when uh, I'll tell you about Spike. Anybody here know a guy named Spike on the streets? Mike does. And my wife does. My son does. Uh, Spike is a guy that we met downtown. He used to uh, come to our food line, and he was drunk. Uh, Not that one time. It's like all the time, 24-7. He was commode-hugging drunk. Any of you ever been commode-hugging drunk? Oh, there's a few hands or a few people looking down. But he started coming to the food line, and we noticed that he would walk up and down the alley and pick up all the trash and throw it in the dumpsters. Nobody ever asked him to do that, but we developed a relationship with Spike. This was, it had to be 12 years ago. Then he started volunteering to help. Then we started trying to get him sober. And it got to the point to where he was about to die. He was so drunk. And I made a connection out in, in a place called Pulaski, Tennessee, a farm that takes alcoholic and drug addicts from the city. Because when you're trying to quit and you're sleeping on the ground next to a guy that's offering you uh, a bottle of whiskey, it's hard to say no. So you go live on this farm for a one-year plan to get clean and sober. He made it eight months. Then we found him in the alley drunk again. A few months later, I took him to Tennessee again. He made it six months. A third time, he only made it three months. We opened the Tollgate Coffee House, and we let him stay with us. The first day I let him stay there, I thought it was a mistake. You remember what the Tollgate looked like. He was there, and he says, I'm going to stay sober. Well, we didn't give him a key. We just locked him in at night. Well... (laughs) How many of you guys, any of you guys remember this? He, uh, he stepped out the back door to smoke a cigarette at like three in the morning in his underwear and the door shut 
So he went around front and got up on the front porch and just sit there and waited for us to show up. We drive up and I'm going, Raylene, it was a mistake. (laughs) But then we found out he wasn't drunk. He wasn't out drinking. He wasn't carousing. He just locked himself out. Well, we ended up kicking him out of the toll gate two or three times because he couldn't stay sober. And then when we moved to Seattle and started SCUM, we, uh, we came down here and put him on a bus to come live with us in Seattle because we couldn't get over that he was, uh, he was a hurting guy and he needed us. And uh, he sobered up, but eventually he walked away. And truth be known, we, uh, we brought him to Seattle three times to live with us, and he just couldn't quite make it. And this is, uh, it's not one of our successes. It's what I consider just a hard point in my life is because we poured everything we could into this guy. The last time he left, he took a cane and, and hit me on the forehead with it, and I knocked him on the ground and sat on him till the cops took him off my property. And he's back here in Denver. And we see him, and he apologizes. And he, he's still drunk. But if you're in the, in the business of finding results so you can feel good, maybe we should go back to that tree. You know, and look at that because my heart breaks for Spike. But I got to uh, know what my boundaries are. He's not allowed to come back and live with us no more. And uh, I would suggest before you, any of you think about letting a homeless man come to stay at your house or a woman, you better make sure that that's what God wants you to do because it's a dangerous thing. Any other questions? We have a balcony? (laughs) You have a loud question for me? Well, first off, I, I don't see nothing wrong with your uh, ministry to your non-believer friends. It sounds like you're being Christ-like to them. And uh, I think that uh, with the exception of the apostles, Christ hung out with non-believers more than he did believers. Um, I don't know the people on the corner if they're believers or not. Um, but I believe that you got to know deep in your heart what God's call is on your life. And then pursue that and make sure that nothing stands in the way of that. Because Christ wants you to love everyone. I don't, I don't 
not love these these guys that are panhandling. I just, I'm not called to them. I'm called to the people that are sleeping on the ground. And uh, just because I'm called there doesn't mean you are. And just because you're called somewhere else doesn't mean everybody else is. But you got to know what your calling is. And Bible says, abide in the calling where you are called. And if you're called to your non-believer friends, then you're doing what God created you to do. You know, that, that brings me to a, a little thing that we talked about in Scum Seattle a lot. We have many discussions about this. Do you know the difference in your call and your mission? So your call is the fundamental thing that God has called you to do. Maybe take care of the poor. Maybe take care of the widowed. Maybe take care of pregnant teens. Maybe straight out evangelism. Now mission, your mission is the station in life where God has you performing your call. Your call remains. The Bible says, my gifts and callings are without repentance. He doesn't change his mind. But your mission changes all the time. You know, my mission was on the streets of Denver. Then it was on the streets of Seattle. And now it's on the streets of Denver again. But it's the same call. Your call will change the way it looks over the years, over your life. But it'll still burn in your heart what you're to do. It's just how do you apply that? Anymore? Can I ask you a question? I, I saw you earlier, and on the back of your shirt, it says, Finish Strong. Oh, okay. Because I got an evangelist, singer, songwriter, a friend of mine named Debbie Milligan, and that was one of her big songs was called Finish Strong. So now you can ask me a question. How I Met Christ? At the very last minute, he, he said, at the very latest, you got 8.30, and I've got six minutes. So perhaps at Pete's or something later. Yeah, I think we're going to Pete's later on. If anybody wants to come, we can talk about it later. And if you want, I'll even tell you about my politics about feeding the homeless. All right. So uh, God bless. Huh? Tell them about my book. Tell them about my book. Uh, down here on the front row, right there, I'm pointing at that camera because the lady running that camera is named Paige Evans. She is my editor. And uh, I'm writing my life story in three books. Uh, book one, I've finished, and she's done all she can do. And now, now we're looking for the right publisher to uh, publish it. Book one is called uh, Son of Disaster, Confessions of a Teenage Bank Robber. And it goes up to age 19 in my life when I first end up in prison. And then book two will, will go from that point up until age 30 when I meet the guy that will lead me to the Lord in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then book three starts with praying salvation with him, and it ends up with me answering your question. Unless 
Paige thinks you're boring and she cuts you out of the book. So, well, God bless you all. And uh, I think Mike's going to come up and uh, benedict us and do some other things. But thank you for listening to me ramble.